This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Java Chapman, sitting in for the esteemed Liz Gill this morning. Uh, Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning. Good morning, Java. It's great to work with you, And uh, although we do miss Liz. And um, just what Liz actually wanted to remind us, that today is National Voter Registration Day, and we hope that all the listeners are registered to vote. And voting rights are going to be one of the topics we're going to be talking about today. Um, And we're very fortunate to have as our guest today Dr. Corey Wiggins, who's the executive director of the Mississippi State Conference of the NAACP. And Reverend Dr. Jimmy Richardson, who's president of the Pearl River County NAACP. And, and the topic we're going to be talking about is some of the um, advocacy the NAACP is doing in terms of, um, of people's rights. So welcome to the show, uh, both Dr. Wiggins and Dr. Richardson. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your backgrounds and how you became involved in the work of the NAACP? Uh, sure. Uh, look, I- I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have us on the show, Richard. Uh, myself and uh, Reverend Richardson, uh, who I just want to point out, Reverend Richardson is our our state legal redress chair and a volunteer uh, with the NAACP, and we're so uh, proud of the work that he does and the work that all our volunteers across the NAACP does. But I I got into this work um, uh, sort of in a roundabout way, um, in brief. Uh, I spent some time working in the state legislature as a policy analyst uh, when I returned back to Mississippi from graduate school. I'm actually trained in sort of public health and health policy, PhDs in health behavior, uh, and I take this very sort of broad sort of look around social determinants and how they influence quality of life, not just health. Uh, And from that, I've worked in the state legislature as a policy analyst. Uh, I have a former professor at Jackson State University. I've spent time leading a think tank here in Mississippi that looked at everywhere from, you know, state-level policy uh, here in Mississippi to regional-level policy in the Mid-South about how do you develop communities or develop supports in communities so people can prosper and thrive. And, and have been proud and excited to in this role of executive director for Mississippi NAACP uh, for the past four years and uh, excited to talk about some of the work that we're doing, uh, but ultimately our work is able to be done with so many of our member volunteers like Reverend Richardson uh, that we have here today as well. And, well, we're great. It's great to have you both here and, and really appreciate it. And, um, and so, you know, one of the, the major issues for the NAACP has always been racial justice. And, and you know, how much more likely uh, is it for a black person to be incarcerated than a white person? is one of the issues that um. yeah uh, I'll, I'll jump in and I definitely want to pull make sure, pull Reverend Richardson in to kind of share uh, of, of what he's experienced and seeing not only as a leader of one of our local units um, but also um, our state legal redress chair uh, but ultimately 
you know, Mississippi, and you look at the state of Mississippi, African-Americans make up about 39 percent of the state's population, yet uh, they constitute uh, 57 percent of the people who are in jail and 62 percent of the folks that are in prison. So when you talk about uh, disparities, uh, particularly disparities in our in our incarceration system, that there's an over-representation uh, of African-Americans that are, that are in, in a system. And, and, you know, there hasn't been any data or anything that suggests, right, that, that, that black folks in Mississippi are more likely to commit crimes uh, by the fact that they're black. Uh, I think what this does speaks to is, is over-policing mass incarceration uh, of what we see here in our state uh, that, that cuts across this intersection, intersection between race and gender. Uh, but yet, when you look at overall um, our, our prison system here in Mississippi, uh, you know, we are uh, ranked third in the region of the number of people that we have incarcerated, uh, that we have locked up in Mississippi. Since 1983, um, and from the latest data, looking at 2015, there's been a 269% increase uh, in the number of people who are incarcerated in Mississippi. Uh, and so, you know, we, we as a state um, have, have unfortunately done a, a very good job in incarcerating people. Um, uh, and when you look at that and look at the data and you see that a, a majority of those folks uh, are uh, African American. Thank you. And you mentioned, um, and I, I did not give Dr. Uh, Richardson a chance to, uh, Reverend Richardson, a chance to introduce himself, so I apologize for that. Reverend Richardson, would you tell us a little bit about how you are involved in the NAACP? Okay. Yeah, I'm uh, Reverend Dr. Jimmy Richardson. Um, I serve uh, as president of Pearl River County uh, branch of NAACP. Um, the uh, sixth vice president for the Mississippi State Conference and chair of legal redress. Uh, been with uh, volunteering for NAACP for probably 15 years. Um, just uh, wanted to work and try to make a difference in the community, uh, in the state. And so um, saw the need for uh, individuals uh, dealing with, uh, you know, various um, um, various uh, issues concerning uh, the law and how things are, are done. And so I wanted to try to help uh, make a difference when people are uh, not only just charged, but have to trying to get the proper um, education on what they should do after they've been charged before they go to court and trying to get attorneys and, and just pretty much knowing the law. So that's kind of how I got into it, uh, um, and I'm still here. Now, Professor Gershon, you started the conversation this morning talking about uh, racial justice being one of the primary issues that the NAACP is uh, working on. I had a question about um, when it comes to the incarceration of people, especially um, black people being incarcerated more on a— um, on a level than uh, other nationalities. Is there data that shows that these incarcerations are uh, uh, having an effect on, on crime or just um, uh, violence in general? Is, is, is this incarceration system working? Uh, look, I think that's a, a, a great question. I think what we've seen and what we've continued to see uh, is the negative impact uh, that mass incarceration have on communities. Uh, 
And this phenomenon of mass incarceration, you know, isn't just one that's impacting, you know, people in Mississippi. It's one that's impacting and affecting our, our whole country. Um, and look, there is a way, it's almost the same way that our approach that you could take uh, with, as a, being a doctor or a physician. Uh, you know, we can choose to to treat a problem or we can uh, choose to prevent a problem. And so, so often we find ourselves mass incarceration or incarcerating folks as a treatment of the problem. Uh, and we will put resources in treatment. But what we're not doing and what we should be focused on is how do we prevent uh, some of the things that we're seeing that's happening in our communities and what does prevention look like. Prevention is an investment in our educational system. Prevention is, is investments that allows us to grow our economy, that people can go to work each and every day uh, and get a job that's not a job that's a low-wage job, but a job that actually allows them to support their family and have benefits and all these kinds of things. And so, you know, those are the things I think um, that we're seeing uh, that needs to be done as opposed to what's being, what's being done. You know, one of the things, and I keep referring back to our member volunteers and the work of folks like Reverend Richardson, of being on the ground. Reverend Richardson is on the front lines, and he gets the calls from people all across the state who are experiencing discrimination challenges, uh, negative experiences with our criminal justice system. Uh, and once I think, and he can speak to this, as you dig into some of the issues and problems, you can see a lot of the stuff that we're coming up against is stuff that could have been prevented on the front end. Dr. Richardson, how, we'll talk about some of the things that um, you're seeing. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, on the front line, as Dr. Wiggins talked about, uh, we get calls, numerous calls each and every day to our state conference um, around the state of Mississippi. Uh, and majority of people, like I said earlier, uh, you know, either they have a loved one or themselves or family members that uh, has had brushes with the law uh, and have no clue what to do. Um, you know, one of the things that we try to do is kind of uh, point them in the right direction um, just because you have been uh, charged with something doesn't mean that you're going to automatically be uh, convicted. And uh, a lot of the things that I've saw um, is, you know, I'm amazed at uh, the money that we spend to get people uh, incarcerated uh, and convicted. Um, you know, the, from the DAs to the ADAs, well over six figures, uh, even the ADAs over six figures. But then when it comes to the public defender's office, um, they probably making half that much, if that. Uh, maybe the chief public defenders are making half that much with a lot less resources. Uh, so, you know, we, the, the table is kind of tilt. You know, it says justice is fair, but, you know, we're spending um, all this money on trying to get people convicted um, and the people that's being uh, that has been charged or uh, have limited resources on trying to help themselves and many times because of that uh, you get people that have really uh, that was not guilty being found guilty because of the lack of and I won't say ineffective counsel but if you have a public defender's office who is only part-time and uh, you don't see them and uh, the first thing they try to do is get you to try to plead guilty to whatever uh, situation you're in and because they've already made a deal with uh, the 
prosecution because they need to move on and they're just trying to uh, clear um, their paperwork, so to speak, and they're just trying to go through their list. And so the one thing that I see is, you know, there is uh, minimum uh, resources when it comes to helping people uh, try to navigate through these times when uh, they have been charged with various things. And some people are guilty, don't get me wrong, but some people, uh, you know, don't. We say that we have an opportunity to have a fair and impartial trial or jury, and that's not the case all the time. So we try to lead them in the right directions. Uh, we deal with uh, Mississippi Center for Justice and, and certain other uh, law enforcement uh, uh, law firms trying to help them uh, be led in the right direction. Also, um, such as, uh, say, Pearl River County, uh, I work with the Chief Public Defender's Office. We have Know Your Rights seminars, so people can know what their rights are when uh, they are stopped, uh, when they are uh, charged uh, with a crime, to try to help them navigate through these times. Well, gentlemen, I think we're opening up a great conversation this morning. You are listening to In Legal Terms with host Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law of Java Chapman. Filling in for Liz Gill this morning. And today we're talking about the work of the NAACP with guests Corey Wiggins and Reverend Dr. Jimmy Richardson. What's the history of the NAACP in Mississippi? I'll tell you coming up next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. This is In Legal Terms. Not everyone has the chance to listen to our show live. And if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app as well as, as well as all of our local shows. And this morning, our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Java Chapman. We're talking about the work of the NAACP with guest Corey Wiggins, the executive director of the Mississippi State Conference of NAACP, and Reverend Dr. Jimmy Richardson, a volunteer with the Mississippi NAACP Pearl I'm sorry, president. He is a volunteer, but he's also the president of the Pearl River County NAACP. Now, did you know that the first branch in Mississippi of the NAACP was chartered in Vicksburg in 1918 and rechartered on April 8th, 1940? 
So there's something that you learn. And as the old additive says, the more you know. Uh, Professor Gershon, I know you had some uh, uh, questions that you wanted to start the show off or start this second segment off. But let's go to the phones first and uh, talk with Chico in Oxford. Good morning, Chico. Good morning, Java. Uh, good morning, Professor Gershon. And good morning to y'all, Dr. Wiggins and Reverend Dr. Richardson. I have a good morning, legal question. Good morning. I have a legal question uh, about Alabama, and it might be more for Professor Gershon, but I want to tell Dr. Wiggins and Reverend Dr. Richardson, I really appreciate the good work y'all do with the NAACP. I'm, a, I'm an old white dude in North Mississippi, and I know that the NAACP has made my life better. Now, it goes beyond things like voting rights. Uh, my first year of public school in the 1960s was the first year of integration. And I have friends today that I would not have had if I had not been allowed to go to school with black people. They, um, my life is blessed with them. Uh, there's, a, there's a fellow in Cupola named Jerry Coleman. And when we were in the ninth grade around 1975, he asked me if um, I thought my mama would hire him to work at her restaurant in Tupelo. And I said, I imagine so, let's go. And she hired him. And he, you know, she was in business almost 50 years. And he was one of her very favorite and best employees. And he runs a Little Caesars in Tupelo now. And when I heard this morning about that, about y'all's topic, I thought about Andre Thomas from Tupelo, who played football at Ole Miss. He was number 12 for the Rebels from 1979 to 1982. And I love both those fellas today. We called Andre Hammerhead, and, and he was always, he, he always had a great game against Alabama. And it got me to wondering this morning, you know, you know here in Mississippi, we, we know we have better music, better literature, better food than Alabama. And I was just wondering, you know, Alabama, we all know Ole Miss is going to beat Alabama this Saturday over there in Tuscaloosa. And the way those Alabama people operate, they, they will probably call that loss a national championship. And I just wonder, they have so many national championships that they claim. Some of them are crazy where they'll lose two games in a season and lose their bowl game and still claim it as a national championship. Is it legal for them to do that? Well, Chico, that's that's more of a – people can say whatever they want. And, it, and the First Amendment gives us the opportunity to uh, express our opinions about things. And, and if they think they're the national champions, anyone can express that opinion. But there's really only uh, one true national champion and that in some ways. I mean, so, yeah, I think that's – it's not so much a legal question as it is. You know, people can – people can lie, you know. I mean, we have a right to lie. There are consequences for lies, but uh, people can lie. Um, and uh, and so we'll leave it at that, and uh, you know, hope that uh, hope you're right about this weekend. We, pre- we appreciate you joining the, joining the show this morning, uh, Chico, always sharing your unique perspective. And uh, I'll just say uh, thank goodness for the, for the First Amendment because they can call it a national championship and we can call it wrong. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> thank you, Chico. Well, uh, you know, um, Java, if, uh, if we can uh, talk a little bit more about, um, you know, the, the idea of racial inequality in the justice system. And I, and I want to know from our guests what – what steps the NAACP is taking to promote 
um, a, a better uh, justice, uh, you know, to reduce racial inequality in our justice system? What, what can we do? Yeah, no, thanks, uh, Richard, again, and thanks for the caller for, for, for calling in. Um, you know, I, you know, one of the things I, I'll say since I've been associated with NAACP, um, he's absolutely right. Like, the NAACP has done so much work outside of just our, our work that people notice, know us for around voting rights and voter registration work. Uh, even now as we speak, you know, as COVID-19 continue to plague this country and plague our state, our member volunteers and, and our staff, our community organizers have been organizing uh, to, to work with local communities to do rental assistant clinics, right, um, uh, where people can come in and get support as they're kind of navigating the economic hardships of COVID uh, and trying to make decisions around around their housing because we are one of the most housing insecure states uh, there is in, in our country. So we've always evolved and, and been what we needed to be to respond to anything and everything that's going on uh, at our state in this country. Uh, but, you know, what can we do? I think when we look at criminal justice or look at our system, we first treat it as a system. You know, there's all different ways and levels to engage. Whether you look at federal advocacy, which we work through our national, the National Association, the National Office for that work. Our work that we do at the state conference level uh, is really is also looking at sort of state level, state level policy and system change type work. Uh, and the work of the folks uh, like our presidents, like Reverend uh, Richardson and our other local unit presidents across Mississippi, are looking at what's happening in our, lo our local system. Uh, one example would be uh, is the role, right, the roles of district attorneys. I think Reverend Richardson mentioned this earlier, the role that, that district attorneys play in the criminal justice system, the amount of power that they have around decision-making is about you know, sentencing uh, recommendations, what goes to trial, what doesn't go to, go to trial, how long people are in jail before they actually, uh, their case is heard before, before a judge. And one way we've engaged in that le le level is, is just really to educate citizens about the role that DAs have. And the fact that, you know, most of our actors in our system are elected. And so if you're happy with the people that you're electing, if you're thinking the criminal justice system is working right, right in your city or your county, uh, uh, is one thing. And if you don't think it's working right, then you can work to lift up those issues that you that matter to you. And then you can vote your conscience in that way. Uh, and that's what it is about for us is localized policy making, localized decision making, and it's really executed and done through our, mem our member volunteers. Well, one of the yeah, things I think important is uh, to, uh, to work on economic in the community. We want um, to make sure that we are uh, in the community. We have partners in the community where we can help, uh, like uh, during this pandemic, navigate through these times. Uh, these are tough times that we're living in, uh, but at the same time, uh, we want to be able to try to help educate people, point them in the right direction. Um, it's amazing how uh, many people, you know, that when they're dealing with situations, uh, a lot of things that we deal with uh, may not even have anything to do with civil rights or any violations, but we try to point them in the right direction. So we need uh, those partnerships and we need those uh, other people in the community that we may be able to communicate with, that we may be able to better serve them if nothing but point them in the right direction. 
Thank you, Dr. Richardson. I didn't mean to, to cut you off. I appreciate you um, your comments. And um, you know, one of the one of the things that the NAACP works on uh, that's very important is the idea of racial in, inequality and, uh, and and economic inequality as well. And and what role does economic inequality uh, pay and play in a high incarceration rate? And are we actually, in essence, criminalizing poverty? No, you're absolutely right about that one, Richard, too. I mean, and we see this each and every day, and I know Reverend Richardson can speak this as well based upon uh, the claim. So, and I do want to say this, right? So I don't know how much of uh, the viewership or listening audience know about sort of the NAACP structure. Uh, I was kind of talking through, we have a national NAACP, and then within a state, there's a state level uh, that really is comprised of our local units and branches. Uh, and when we say local units and branches, we're talking about different units within different counties. There may be a county uh, with multiple units in there, depending on the size of the county. We have, uh, you know, of all of the counties in the state of Mississippi, we have about, uh, I think, 74 to 75 we have members uh, and, and, and active units or active people within 74, 75 of the counties across Mississippi. So when you talk about a statewide organization, we really are a statewide organization with members, most of all, mostly all of our counties. And so this idea of when you talk about criminalization of, of poverty, uh, we see it. Uh, one of the biggest things uh, that we see that's happening now is around fines and fees. Uh, you know, we know that, you know, fines and fees are, are those sort of the set that people may pay with different interactions we have with the criminal justice system. But unfortunately, uh, we have some municipalities in some places that utilize those fines and fees as a, as a big part of their local budgets. Uh, and so when you talk about, you know, uh, a fine or, or, or a fee uh, for whatever ordinance or something that's happened and people are going to jail for these, these minimum fines and then add up into a bigger sort of cost. You know, folks may or may not be employed, working low-wage jobs, but they're sitting in jail because they're able to pay for that, pay that fine or that fee that they've been assessed, but knowing that some of that is also driven by this idea of municipalities to collect monies, right, to go into their budgets. And so you have, in, in that example, right, you have both the criminalization of poverty, of people sitting in jail, but they cannot pay a fine and a fee. And then you have municipalities who are building budgets off the back of, of, the, uh, of criminalizing or fining or, or preventing assessing fees to people for any and every little thing that happens within, within the city. And we understand, right, cities in our state and a lot of places are struggling economically, but we don't think it's good practice to build a budget uh, off the backs of folks in that way, uh, who all they are trying to do in most cases is trying to live and support their families. Yeah, I know. A lot of a lot of times, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, when we uh, may get pulled over or something, you may have that uh, thought that uh, they're just trying to fill that quota. They're just trying to fill that quota, and they, you know, it kind of it's like all it's really going to do is hit me in my pocket because they're trying to fill that quota, no matter you know how much uh, right or wrong we may be in that situation. But we do have a phone call um, that we need to get to, um, and it's actually from one of our neighbors in Alabama. Alabama, uh, Mobile. Let's talk to Angie uh, from Mobile. Good morning. Good morning. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you guys for all of your hard work. I'm a longtime NAACP member, and I was with the state conference 
in uh, Arizona. So I'm glad to hear all the good work you guys are doing in Mississippi. I live in Alabama, but I had a question just about Mississippi. Um, you know, nowadays a lot of people are videoing interactions with law enforcement, and you've had several occasions where people have been told to stop videoing, um, officers have confiscated uh, bystanders' telephones, and have gone through people's telephones to delete things. And I'm just wondering, what's the law in regards to uh, recording police encounters in Mississippi? Uh, thank you. Thank you for your question. Uh, I, I think, you know, that would probably uh, need to be reverted to an attorney. But at the same time, anytime uh, there's a traffic stop, as long as you are at a distance, that you're not interfering uh, with that officer's traffic stop, that you're not interfering with what he feels like is his safety, uh, you should be allowed to video that traffic stop. Now, if you are being stopped yourself, uh, you can video it as well, because that officer has a body camera, too. Uh, so long as if you are the individual being stopped, you know, I recommend uh, that you video uh, turn your camera on and video the traffic stop and that you allow the officer to know that you are videoing uh, that traffic stop uh, for your safety as well. Uh, because again, the majority of these uh, uh, sheriff departments and municipalities now, they do have body cameras and they are also, uh, they should be also uh, recording uh, that traffic stop. So uh, um. not sure uh, if there's any laws been passed against that. But I do know if you do it, uh, again, if you are not the person being stopped, you do have the right uh, to video as long as you are not, uh, you have a safe link and that you're not interfering uh, with that traffic stop. Okay, what about not necessarily a traffic stop, but if you, you know, you just saw somebody being arrested on the street and you wanted to uh, videotape uh, what was happening. Well, one of the things that come to mind to me, uh, again, is the George Floyd situation. Uh, you had the young lady there that uh, was passing by, uh, saw uh, the exchange, saw the arrest of George Floyd, and she stood there and videoed the entire thing. Again, she was at a distance. Uh, she wasn't interfering. Uh, you know, everybody got phones nowadays. Uh, so I don't think there's any law that can be passed to say you cannot use your phone. Um, you know, there is, uh, should be infringement uh, so far as, you know, it used to be, you know, you didn't want people to video you and take your picture. Uh, but there's so many cell phones and cameras and videos out there. Uh, that's kind of hard to deal with. So I would say yes, um, you know, if that was a traffic stop that I saw. Uh, that didn't look right, uh, I would pull up my phone and begin to video uh, at a safe distance. Yeah, and I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to, wanted to add, and, and look, it's first, it's great to have a, a NAACP or online and calling in and, you know, all of the work that NAACP do across this country. But, you know, one of the things that we do uh, in addition to, we, we do know your rights type trainings. Uh, where we partner with, with other organizations 
uh, our legal advocacy partners that we work with, but really to, to do trainings just to address these types of questions and how do people respond uh, when they see instances um, um, of law enforcement interactions or when you're being pulled over to practice safety uh, in response to that. And we found, right, that, that, that one of the things that cameras or access to the technology has done is being able to tell stories and, and show the picture all right, of what's happening. Uh, but ultimately, we want to make sure that folks are safe. That's the first thing that we're, we're, we're trying to do. And that is not a, a statement that is that is that is anti-law enforcement. I don't want any of that to be construed as that. What that is is about the safety of people in our communities. When we know the data, when we understand that we only represent 39% of the population here in Mississippi, but represent majority of the folks who are in jail or in prison, that is about the safety in our communities, protecting our families. And so uh, know your rights trainings, and we do a lot of those trainings, particularly with our young people. We have youth and college chapters, youth councils across the state, college chapters that we really spend time doing those trainings with uh, as to help them support them uh, any entire type of interaction they have. Professor Gershon, did you want to say anything on this topic before we uh, take a break? No, I, I totally agree with everything that uh, Dr. Richardson and uh, Dr. Wiggins just said. I mean, uh, it, and a lot of it is you know, use common sense. I mean, it's not about the law that if, you, if you're up in the, you're a bystander and you get up into the officer's face when they're trying to do their job, you know, that's not going to go well. And, and they, they do have the authority to, to ask you not to do that. But but if you're in a safe distance, I mean, if, you know, unless you're in a movie theater trying to record, you know, the movie for sale or something like that, it's really hard for people to say you can't use your phone to, to record um, in a public space. Well, I appreciate that, um, Angie, for um, bringing that bringing that topic to the show. And just like Dr. Uh, Reverend Dr. Jimmy Richardson said at the beginning, just if you're um, at a safe distance and not interfering, then I don't see a problem, and I don't think the law has a has a problem with that either. Um, we're, you're listening to In Legal Terms, Carl. We're talking about the work of the NAACP this morning with Corey Wiggins and Reverend Dr. Jimmy Richardson. Also, when we come back, I'm going to let you know how you can follow this organization on social media. It's really easy. I'll tell you about that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gerson is our expert host. I'm Java Chapman filling in for Liz Gill this morning. And did you know that this show is also a podcast? So if you're just joining us in the middle, you can listen back to the entire show later on this afternoon. And uh, tune in on your own schedule by finding In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform or the MPB public media app. Now, this morning, we're talking about the work of the NAACP with our guest. 
Alliance. Coral Wiggins, Executive Director of the Mississippi State Conference of the NAACP, and the Reverend Dr. Jimmy Richardson, President of the Pearl River County NAACP. Now, if you want to stay up to date with everything that the NAACP is doing, make sure you follow them on Twitter. This is for the Mississippi chapter. The handle is at MSNAACP. Uh, you can also find their information on Facebook. Just search for Mississippi NAACP. And uh, you can also find them on Instagram. I know the national chapter. I follow them. And uh, you can stay up to date um, just all across social media. Now, let's go to the phones um, this morning. We're going back and talking with Edgar in Jackson. Um, good morning, Edgar. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm enjoying the program. And I actually, I have um, uh, uh, a question about two issues that I think uh, disproportionately affect uh, people of color, and they involve the state legislature and the and the governor also. One has to do with the effort to eliminate the income tax and uh, increase sales tax, number one. And number two, their failure to uh, increase Medicaid. I'd like to know what our uh, guests have to say about that, and I'll hang up and listen, okay? Thank you, Edgar, for Thank um, you. joining us this morning. Uh, I don't know who wants to take it first. Uh, we'll give it yeah. let Corey jump in, and then Reverend Doctor, you can jump in after. Yeah, no, I, look, I, those are great questions. I appreciate that. Um, so, one, the question about the, the, the case to eliminate the income tax. Uh, look, as a long-running, Mississippi NAACP has, has been against any um, sort of tax policy that seeks to um, really add, add a burden to working class and working Mississippians. Uh, over the past several years, what we've seen in terms of tax policy in Mississippi, uh, I don't know if you recall, Edgar, probably about, I don't know, maybe five, maybe six, five or six years ago now, the state legislature enacted a tax cut uh, with a majority of, of the taxes being cut uh, was going to uh, corporations and to wealthier and Mississippians when you look at, look at who would benefit from that tax cut. Uh, and what we've seen, this is part of a practice that's been happening across this country, what's known as a tax shift. What that means is, is that you only have so you have so much revenue, you have so much things, so many things that are basic functions of government to support. You start cutting taxes for one group, and then you realize, oh my goodness, we don't have enough taxes now to to meet those basic needs, whether it be roads, building, you know, construct like all those type of public infrastructure projects. And then you may get offered something like, well, we're going to eliminate the income tax, but we're going to raise the sales tax. What, they, what that's called is a tax shift. They're essentially sort of sort of doing this baiting switch of saying, hey, we're going to give you a little bit of relief, but they, they're going to raise your sales tax. Data shows in Mississippi, and one, are, one of our advocacy partners, One Voice, is doing a lot of research right now uh, around this. Uh, you could go to their website or search them and, and look at it. And some reports that they publish is that mostly working class Mississippians and lower income Mississippians pay a lot of their income or higher proportion income in taxes for the goods, the services, for the services, I mean, the goods they buy, groceries, all those things we use to support families, as opposed to wealthier families who tend to may buy more services that are not taxed. 
And so we are against anything that seeks to, to, to put an extra burden on working class Mississippians. As it relates to Medicaid and Medicaid expansion, we fully support increasing access to health care. And our stance has been, and look, um, there's been numerous studies about both the health and economic benefits to Medicaid expansion. Uh, there was legislation that was included in the last federal package that extended uh, generous benefits to states who decided to expand Medicaid and access to care. Uh, we've been supportive, supportive of that, uh, not only because it makes businesses, it makes sense for the struggling rural hospitals that we have across Mississippi, which so many are closing, have closed in the past, the past number of years, and it just makes good human sense so that folks can, can get up and go to work and be able to go get health care when they need it. Um, and and it's just, it's, it's, it's both, you know, it's feasible, it makes sense to do, and we don't understand, like most Mississippians, at least the data is showing us, you know, why our, our leaders across the Mississippi are, are against it. I think we are at a moment in time where we should be working to make decisions, particularly in the, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, that make sure that Mississippi has access, has access and families have access, access to the resources they need where they can live, thrive, and, and, and prosper. As you can see, that's something that I get very excited about. Um, <laughs> uh, it is something I get excited about, really because of our folks like Reverend Richardson, who's, who's pushing us, who's pushing the state conference, and uh, other volunteers, because they are hearing about this on the work, in the work that they're doing in our local communities. And we're, we're fighting each and every day uh, to fight against those things that don't support working Mississippians, people of color, African-Americans, and working to make sure we have those things in place that do. Well, that was, thank you for it. I mean, that was really a great answer to that question. And, you know, I, I, I would add, too, that, you know, the, uh, the getting rid of the income tax would affect retired people as well. People living on a pension right now don't pay income tax for that. If we increase their sales tax, that actually is going to have a negative impact on them, and it is just a tax shift. So, um, Dr. Richardson, did you want to add anything? Yeah, just very briefly, uh, uh, Dr. Wiggins done a great job with that. Uh, and thank uh, Mr. Edgar for uh, his questions. Um, you know, when you're talking about uh, changing the structure of how our sales tax and income tax come, it is disproportionately uh, always affecting those that have lower income. And so, you know, that's something that we are very passionate about. Uh, we want to make sure that all Mississippians have the same uh, level, equal playing field uh, when it comes to things like uh, income tax or raising uh, the sales tax, uh, which will definitely um, affect uh, those of lower income. Uh, because if you look at that scale, it does not add up. Uh, also on Medicaid, you know, you, Medicaid, Medicare, Mississippi is the sickest state probably out near the top in, uh, in the State of the Union. Uh, but still, when it comes to Medicaid and Medicaid expansion, uh, we are falling short and trying to do our best uh, in order to, to help those that, that are trying to, uh, that want to work and want to pay Medicaid, Medicaid, Medicaid in, that want a better life for themselves. We are we're pushing them down instead of giving them a hands up with the laws that uh, our governor and legislature uh, are putting forth. So we're definitely advocates against uh, all of the things that they're trying to do. That's great. I mean, I I, uh, I know um, 
you know, we have, there's so many issues. We're running out of time. Unfortunately, we were just uh, we really, yeah, we really are coming coming out <laughs> at the end of the time. We were talking in the chat um, about how how great a conversation this is. But Professor Gershon, I know we wanted to get into uh, voting uh, issues um, before we, you know, uh, uh, end the end the show. So uh, go ahead. Well, in fact, we started uh, the, the show talking about the fact that it's National Voter Registration Day. And I know one of the key advocacy issues for the NAACP is, is voting rights. And, and we're seeing what looks like erosion of voting rights around the country. Um, so would you please comment on um, the importance of voting rights and, and especially for communities of color? Yeah, um, look, this is an issue that's near and dear and core to our work. Uh, and in a, in a sense, really all of the other programmatic work that we talk about and have talked about today, uh, and I agree, you all, I mean, it is so much that we can talk about the work that's happening uh, across the association. Uh, but this is, this is core because ultimately what we're talking about is people having the ability to be part of the decision-making process. Uh, and that's what we're talking. Like we should, it's always been, and I, I remember this one conversation I, I had um, with around, you know, access to the ballot. Like how do we increase access to the ballot? Will there be, you know, easier processes for absentee voting, early voting, and all these di different types of things? Uh, and I remember a, a state official at the time, some time ago, talked about like, well, you know, how will we figure out that process? What would that look like? And I kept thinking to myself that that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and this is why. There are so many pieces of legislation that we pass that, that, that we don't know how it's going to work, how it's going to do whatever, but we pass it anyway uh, for whatever political will and motivation that exists behind it. And what we're talking about is, is that the very principles of a democratic, of a democracy, which is participation by its citizens, but we don't want to figure that out. But what we are willing to figure out is, is how do we limit access to the ballot? And it just make, doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense to, to, to a lot of Mississippians. It doesn't take, uh, make sense to the NAACP, our NAACP members and unit. Uh, and so that continues to be an issue that's, a, that's at the forefront of our minds and our work. Uh, you know, with so, many going, with so many things going on, the thing that I would key in on today is, is this process of redistricting that is up on us, um, the process in which the lines are drawn, uh, whether it's at the state legislature uh, for our House and our Senate, uh, whether it's at our county supervisors, our judges, aldermen, like all of the different levels of government of people that we elect, uh, that every 10 years, uh, based on census data, that lines are drawn and redrawn. And so we are leading real hard along, into, along with a number of partners around redistricting uh, because representation is important. Um, activity or participating in the process is important. So those remain paramount. And, and each and every day that, that I wake up, each and every day I know folks like Reverend Richards will wake up uh, are, you know, are, are, are focused hard on that work. And folks like Reverend Richardson who are leading voter registration drives in their communities, right? So not only the fight around, you know, representation and, and redistricting and, and being able to participate 
in the voting process and democracy. But getting people into the process through voter registration uh, is also remains an important thing. And, and voting rights in itself is just a topic we could spend hours talking about <laughs> in, in itself. But I just want to make sure I lift up uh, redistricting uh, to folks too. Yeah, Dr. Richardson, did you want to chime in before we um, end the show this morning? Uh, yes, I do. And Clover made some valid points. You know, it's something that is uh, kind of called the gist of uh, what uh, NAACP does as well when it comes around voting rights. And, of course, there is assault on our constitutional right to vote, uh, especially on the lower uh, of the southern states. Um, it's amazing uh, that, you know, in the last several elections, uh, there has been very minimal, uh, if any, uh, assault on our voting rights as far as uh, voter improprieties, yet they are passing all of these laws to try to study uh, to hinder uh, that right to vote. And they are doing it under uh, that auspice of saying that there are voter uh, you know, suppression and voter rights infringement, but actually they are the ones that are doing the voter suppressing uh, their self. So uh, it's a good thing that we are trying to lead that charge, not on the voter um, rights, but voter education. You know, people being, as Corey talked about, being part of the process uh, to go to your uh, local municipality when they meet, to go to the uh, local government uh, board of supervisors when they meet and take part in those uh, conversations about redistricting. Professor Gershon, we get you the last uh, the last word this morning as we are uh, coming up on the end of the program. Well, I just want to uh, thank our guests today. Uh, we really, I think, uh, we could have done so many more topics. There's the topic of environmental justice that is uh, an issue for the NAACP. But I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about voting, Java, because it is, as, as, as Dr. Wiggins said, Dr. Richardson said, it's key. And, uh, and it's also been a pleasure working with you today. And I, I, I think this has been a, a good show. And, um, and, uh, and we hope we will have these guests back on again. Oh, yeah, I can, I can attest we will be having uh, Corey Wiggins, the executive director of the Mississippi State Conference of NAACP, and Reverend Dr. Jimmy Richardson, president of the Pearl River County NAACP, back on the show. Uh, I myself want to personally thank you guys for coming on and giving us some great information. Uh, Professor Gershon told us that it is National Voter Registration Day, and here in the state of Mississippi, you have until October 5th to uh, register for the next election, I know, in my local uh, municipality. We're going to be voting very soon for um, Hines County Sheriff. So we got to make sure that we are registered to vote and good to go. That'll wrap us up on In Legal Terms today. Our call screener was the great Lisa Lancaster. Our board engineer was Jay White, Professor Gershon, and our guest, Corey Wiggins, and Reverend Dr. Jamie Richardson. This has been In Legal Terms. I'm Java Chapman sitting in for Liz Gill. Make sure you join us next Tuesday, 10 a.m., right here for more In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.